scratch, scratch, fever, eight track. My best friend's in a gun rack. I'm a low life. I owe everybody money. I think racist jokes are funny. I'm a low life. I got a dirty mind, a gutter mouth. I'm making time. I'm going out with your wife. Cause I'm a low life. What's up, guys? Welcome to another episode of the Low Life Motherfucking Chopper Podcast. We got a great episode. We got John Kunk with us tonight. We're going to talk about choppers, music, living the dream, whole bunch of good stuff. But before we get into that, we got to kick this off the way we always do with these motherfucking shout outs. First up, we got our first ever live show going on, the Low Life Lowdown. This is happening Saturday, June 10th at the Epping Legion. 12 to 5 p.m. The address of that legion is 252 Califf Highway in Epping, New Hampshire. Going to be a chopper show, food trucks, live music by Michael Carson Sr., raffles, and a whole lot more. 10 bucks at the door gets you inside. 30 bucks if you want to vend at the show. And if you do want to vend, Rhino Resto is the man to get in touch with. Shoot him a message on Instagram. He will get you hooked up with all the details. Remember, guys, Saturday, June 10th, this is the first day of Bike Week. So if you're heading up to Bike Week for the 100th anniversary, no matter where you're coming from, you're going to come through Epping, New Hampshire. So stop and see the low lifes on your way to Bike Week, Saturday, June 10th, 12 to 5, the low life lowdown. Next up. If you haven't heard, your boy started a YouTube channel. It's called Grease's Garage, and the whole goal of this channel is to make your next build easier than your last one. I will cover everything. I got a whole tutorial on how to wire your chopper start to finish, how to refresh your carburetor, welding and fabrication tips, bike maintenance basics, ride-along videos, and a whole lot more. So go to youtube.com, type in Grease's Garage, subscribe to the channel, and you'll get notified every time a new video drops. Next, we got the homie Loctite's Chop Shop also jumping in on YouTube. His channel is back up and running. He's got a brand new camera, and he is rocking and rolling. So give him a follow. That's Loctite's Chop Shop on YouTube for a close-up look at the chopper lifestyle. Lastly, we got a giveaway sponsor, and this month it is OSD Custom Leather. This man killed it with the handmade, hand-tooled leather trucker wallet. This thing is phenomenal. Go to the Low Life Chopper podcast page. You can see photos of this thing and go to OSD Custom Leathers page to see a full video of the inside and outside and some of the details about the wallet. Thing is killer. To win this wallet, we're doing the drawing the first week in April and you go to patreon.com slash lowlifechopperpodcast. You click on giveaway level supporter, get yourself signed up there, and then all you got to do is follow OSD Custom Leather and the Low Life Chopper Podcast. That's all you got to do, and we will do the rest. Again, OSD underscore Custom Leather and Low Life Chopper Podcast. First week in April, we'll take care of that. Looking forward to one of you lucky lowlifes taking that thing home. All right, that won't take up any more of your time. We're going to jump right into this interview with John Kunk. Enjoy. All right, guys, we are live on the line with John Kunk. Welcome to the show, brother. 
Thank you very much for having me, man. It is good to have you on. We were talking a little bit before we kicked the mics on here. You got uh, quite the impressive Instagram feed, man. A lot of bikes been in and out of your shop. We're going to get into a whole bunch of those and the ones that you're riding on. But before we do that, just give the listeners a quick summary of who you are and where you're from. All right, man. Uh, so my name is John Kunk. Uh, I'm from Placerville, California, uh, aka Hangtown, and I live in Boise, Idaho now currently. So I'm a uh, full-time musician, and sometimes I bounce around, as most musicians do, flooring, welding, just miscellaneous gun for hire. So that's what I do here, man. Very nice. Where are you working right now? A dream. Oh, <laughs> yeah, something like that, man. Never rich, <laughs> but it is a rich life. Love it. That's awesome. I like that. Never rich, but it is a rich life. How did you come from California to Idaho? Um, let's see, man. So I, I grew up skating and uh, I had a lot of skate homies in California. And my sister, she like applied to all kinds of colleges. And she'd probably be mad if I said this publicly, but she got accepted at Boise State you know, as one of the few places. So she came to Boise and, uh, you know, through skating, I was just like hooking up with uh, skate friends and, and seeing how I could get over here and so visit her. And so I'd come out here and skate Rhodes Park and skate with people out here. And uh, yeah, from there, man, it's like, man, this is a this is a cool place. It's where all the music and the entertainment of Idaho is happening. And I think like any young person, man, you just want to get away from your hometown. So ran out here. That's awesome. Yeah, dude, the pictures you've got on the feed of the the roads and some of the like the twisty back roads, dude, you got a lot of good riding out there too. Yeah, man. Yeah, definitely. A lot of open plains and uh, the woods aren't too far away. So you can just boogie up to the forest, kind of like high Sierras of California. So yeah, good riding. Oh, dude. And you've done the ultimate travel experience which is looking a buffalo right in the fucking eyes <laughs> yeah yeah that was wild man that was in uh sturges custer park there and uh yeah dude, it looks cool and stuff but man you're shitting your pants the whole time you're just waiting for something to run out in front of you dude they're huge even what you r- rolling past them dude it looks like another fucking car <laughs> oh dude it's nuts <laughs> who shot that video the one of you on the uh, the iron head here with the buffaloes behind you. Uh, so we were in a group uh, group ride with a bunch of friends, and it was somebody's girlfriend on the back of their bike. So they were kind of up front leading the pack, and she was taking videos to everybody going through. That is fucking rad footage to have, dude. Oh, yeah, man. Yeah, appreciate that. Love it. So why don't you give us a, a little summary on what bikes you got Actually, before we even get into those, let's talk about how you started on two wheels and then we'll get into some of the music stuff too. Okay. Yeah. Mine's a, I think it's a bit unusual, but I guess everyone's story is unusual somehow, but I, uh, I grew up, man, my, my dad never used too many power tools. Uh, didn't really do metal work, but did a lot of woodwork and, uh, man, I broke tools all the time. I was just like, just screwing off in a garage, didn't know really what I was doing. And, uh, I built a couple skateboard boxes with his help and things that helped me, you know, learn some woodwork. But, uh, I was skateboarding, of course, and a buddy of mine named Ryan Elledge, uh, he built a sweet Yamaha 650 chop, um, long before they were like widely popular, you know, you could pick one up for like 300 bucks. And, uh, he was just the coolest dude to me growing up, man. Just one of those older figures that you skate with and just kind of lets you know that you can 
grow up and, you know, still be a kid in a way. And, uh, he let me ride his 650, you know, and only having like ridden dirt bikes here and there, I got on it and, uh, no front brake, you know, just classic rat chop. And I took off in a straight line and I crashed it in a straight line because I didn't even stop it. <laughs> and, uh, oh man, I was just beating myself up, dude. Just like, I mean, almost punching myself, which I don't do. And I was just so mad at myself and so embarrassed. And he like took me by the shoulder. And he's like, dude, don't worry about it, man. We'll fix it. And like, dude, I like trashed his exhaust. I like broke off one of his points covers and uh, we towed the thing back to his house. And that day he was like, yeah, this is how you weld, man. So he, he showed me how to weld up his exhaust. And uh, I just, my mind was blown, man. I was just like, holy shit, you can fix metal. You know, like you're a God. And uh, <laughs> from that point on, dude, at uh, yeah, 17, I just told myself like, I'm going to ride a motorcycle. That's all I'm going to do. I'm going to build a chopper and this is it, man. And since then, that's, yeah, it's been my number one passion. That's awesome, man. Yeah, they really do grab people in a big way that like general motorcycling doesn't. I think we all meet people that have bikes and you're like, oh, it's a cool bike. But when you meet somebody that's doing something on the bike, that's the contagious part. Oh, yeah, man, definitely. I mean, you could say that about a lot of things, man, but definitely the unique individuals you meet you know, in a particular scene, like they could make or break it, man. And when you meet those cool guys that just help you get into something, you know, and they keep it cool. And yeah, yeah. Those guys are rad, man. <laughs> That's awesome. So did that get you into welding once you saw him doing that? Cause I know you mentioned that is something you do on the side too. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's uh, I just remember, you know, my folks actually moved away from California and I stayed there and was living with some friends and, uh, my folks, you know, they offered to pay for junior college, which was an awesome gift, man. So I was like, well, what do I go to school for, you know? And ended up just taking the easiest classes, which was uh, like childhood psychology for like teaching kindergarten. And yep. I just remember being this, like, <laughs> oh, dude. So I'm just like this ratty skate kid, man, like holes in like my jeans, my armpits, you know, and just like, oh, I can't work as a teacher somewhere, you know, this is ridiculous. And I just remember being 19, like, what the hell am I going to do with my life? And well, I just you can just be the welding. coolest teacher ever. <laughs> oh, <laughs> and uh, yeah, dude got into welding and paid for my welding school up in Spokane, Washington. And uh, yeah, dude, since then, that's like single-handedly the most valuable thing I think I've ever learned. Because no matter what pinch you're in, dude, you could always get a welding job. This is true. It is a uh, a go anywhere kind of skill. So I got to ask because I did. I only went to a night class. Did you go to like a full welding school, like a multiple week semester type of program? Yeah, yeah. So the program, um, so Oxark. I don't know if they're back east at all, but Oxark is a welding supply company. And they have a school located in uh, Washington, Spokane, Washington. And as far as welding certifications go, so I have all my certifications for stick, TIG, uh, MIG, like dual shield. And Washington is like, has the most uh, nationwide coveted welding certifications because it's all meant for like the coast or working on the pipeline. Gotcha. So yeah, I just went there, man. And I want to say, you know, I paid about five grand, um, but the class itself was like five months. Because in the trade, they're kind of more concerned about you getting a job um, than they are, you know, you getting all your certifications is nominal to them. They want to see you get hired because it makes their program, you know, look good and stuff. So, right, right. Yeah, but they offer good courses, man. And I mean, there's a lot more you learn 
outside of school once you're doing it. You know, like you can only learn so much and pass your test, but uh, they definitely help you control a puddle, you know? So, right. Well, a lot of people, because we talk about it a good amount on the show, just with people working on bikes, they say, you know, is it worth going to welding school? And I've only, having done the night class, the night class was handy to teach me a good bunch of things. And I ended up getting those certs once I started going out in the field, working different jobs, but I never know what to tell people about whether welding school is worth going to, or if it's worth just getting into the field. Do you have any advice on that for people that would be wondering? You know, yeah, man, I I guess people that have asked me in the past, I would always say try to find a uh, a buddy or a good friend or even like a local welding class, um, like one of those, you know, like a night thing or something that somebody does on the weekend, at least try it, like at least burn your hands, you know, like while it's still free. And then if you still have an interest in that, um, I would suggest doing like getting a job off the bat. Um but man, I don't know, man, that's, it's honestly six or dozen because after doing schooling and then going to welding jobs, I just remember thinking like, man, these are the most ass backwards dudes I've ever met. You know, they're doing stuff <laughs> that you would never do in school. Yeah. But uh, sometimes, man, you, you get that job and, you know, some old timer that goes, okay, well, you know, on hardwire, you can weld downhill, you know, and you're like, well, what? I didn't learn that in school, but that's the, that's the industry trade, man, with, you know, that hardwire, you can run up to like quarter inch downhill and nobody seems to care, but, you know, welding school will teach you how to build I-beams and that kind of stuff. But yeah, that's a, that's a tough one, man. On Honestly, just try it out once with a friend, see if you even like it. And if you do like it, then definitely get some kind of training, like even a year in the industry or, you know, or go to school. But what I would uh, advise against is being one of those guys that buys a harbor freight welder and then you start calling yourself a welder and worse yet you offer it to other people on their motorcycles that's uh <laughs> that's oh, yeah. people get hurt man yeah that's a tricky one you don't want to be uh you don't want to be going down that route no <laughs> all right no but that's cool man it's cool you picked up like you said a skill that you can take anywhere yeah appreciate that man so you get into the welding and the fabrication stuff what did you start with when you got onto two wheels? The, uh, the first bike you ever bought. So the first bike or I, uh, I guess first Harley I really had was my 1985 iron head. And, um, at that point, man, I just, I knew I had to build a Harley chopper, but I actually didn't even know the differences between the motors. So I saw an iron head come up and was like, that's it, dude. It's a V twin. It looks like a Harley Davidson. Like this is what I'm building. And, uh, yeah, that was the first one I got, man. So from there, that just kind of learned a lot more fabrication on bikes, that kind of thing. And so you still have it? Uh, so no, I actually recently sold it um, just so I could afford this this new shovel build. Got it. Oh, so that one with the twisted forks, that one is gone now. Yes. Yeah, that's actually, uh, I took it apart and shipped to Australia. Uh, a buddy of mine, Matt South, lives out there. And oh, damn, uh, he was... Dude. Yeah, he was uh, he was the tall guy uh, that rode in the road to nowhere, the Tasmania deal with uh, uh, Gary. So he was one of the riders in that short film. Gotcha. That's rad, dude. So what was it tricky to get that thing to another country? You got to like put it on a pallet or something. How do you how do you even ship a whole bike? Uh, so I mean, 
technically you should build a giant crate around it and they just, uh, they haul it onto, um, just like a normal shipping container and basically how, as well as you package it is as well as it's going to get there. Um, but this time around, Matt was already hauling trucks from the U S and so I just took that bike apart, um, just to its main components, left the motor all intact and stuffed it in a Ford that he shipped over there. So saved him some money there. Oh, damn, dude. What a great way to do that, huh? Yeah, no Stuff kidding. Do for deal. <laughs> yeah, that's rad. So I know that the bike is uh, moved on, but was that something that was a, uh, a labor of love build for you? Oh, yeah, absolutely, man. That, Maybe you can uh, take us through that that process. Oh, yeah, sure thing. <laughs> um I first bought that bike. Like I said, I just knew I wanted a Harley Davidson and I didn't even know what an iron head versus a shovel head or pan head was. You know, I knew like vague shapes of them, but didn't even care. And, uh, so I picked up that iron head and, you know, I think as most people, you get into these old bikes, you don't know, you don't know a lot. Um, like for instance, one cold morning, dude, my bike wasn't starting and I went out there with a wrench and was banging on what I thought was the starter, but it was actually the oil filter. So I started with like nothing, man, like no, no reference of, of anything. And, uh, yeah, from that bike, man, it had a super B on it. Cause it was built, um, like a, a drag racer. So it had open drags and a super B carb. It was just put together so that somebody could sell it. You know, it wasn't really meant to ride. And, uh, oh man, I rode the piss out of it and just totally fouled that motor up. And it just wasn't running good. And so after about a year of owning it, I knew that, okay, I'm going to hardtail it and build this chopper out of it. And um, the metalwork part of it was the only thing I was comfortable with. And, you know, I wasn't much of a mechanic, never having learned it or anything. And a buddy of mine told me, he says, to own a Harley is to be a mechanic. So you definitely learn fast enough when you want your bike to ride. You know, you're going to be tearing into it, watching YouTube you know, reading a climber mag, service manuals, that kind of stuff. And, uh, yeah, man, I tore that bike apart, uh, went through everything, had the, uh, the motor stepped up a little bit. I just had it board over 20 over. Um, at that point I started building the bike. So I got a, a hardtail from gas box and it was one of gas boxes first iron head frames and, um, sent it out my way. And a lot of the stuff didn't fit the year iron head I had. So I had to like modify his frame. And I goosenecked the uh, the front so that I could run that 18 over with the bike level. And uh, I sent the pictures back to Gasbox because he wanted to know how it was going. And he was super bummed about it because he's like, well, dude, you chopped my frame. Like, I can't, I can't promote my frames now. You're the first person to buy one and you've chopped it all up. Oh, that's so, funny, dude, huh? <laughs> I know. Dude, I felt super bad. But like, hey, man, that's choppers, dude. It doesn't matter what you make. Someone's always going to chop it and make it personalized, you know? That'll teach them to try to sell stuff to chopper people. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, funny enough, man, they're, they're, they're doing great. Actually, they make a lot of good uh, exhausts and they do a lot of cool stuff for fabricators. If you are building choppers, like they'll, they'll bend up pipes and they'll send them to you raw so you can still work with them and then, you know, chrome them later. But dude, they got a killer like fab team over there making all kinds of good stuff. Yeah, I see them everywhere, man. They, they're like a full page ad on Lowbrow now, too. Oh, wow. Yeah, geez, dude. It's going to take it over soon, dude. It's going to be called Gasbox now. <laughs> That's it, man. Those full frames are... <laughs> I haven't seen... I don't know. Loctite, you tell me, but I haven't seen full frames on Lowbrow until I saw them on... Until I saw theirs there. Yep, yeah, dude, I think much. that might have been the beginning of it. 
Mm-hmm. I'm not saying nobody made one. I know Paco was making frames forever, but the first time I saw them, somebody said, Hey, we had a whole Sportster hardtail frame, one piece that was gas box. So it is cool that somebody jumped up and started doing that. Oh yeah, for sure, man. I mean, the market too for iron heads, I'm sure you guys know, but you buy them really cheap, you know, they're really cheap and that's a lot of, a lot of entry people's motorcycles. But when it comes time to start building it, like I generally tell people, if you're going to build chopper, it's going to cost you about five. I mean, even upwards of 10, depending on how much you're going to pay someone else to do it, but like five grand minimal, man. So if you buy an iron head for 35, you're going to pay five grand to chop it out. You know, if you buy a shovel head for five grand, you're probably still going to pay five grand to chop it out. You know, that's just in parts and, and chrome and material. And so, you know, if you are going to save up money and buy a chopper, I'd suggest like, man, get yourself a big twin. If that's what you ultimately want, like, don't don't waste the time trying to chop an iron head unless you're really into it, you know? Yeah, especially with the iron head. Like, it's not even an Evo Sporty. You're going like full iron head. It's definitely, unless you're one of the collector guys that really wants that, you know, that particular bike, like Chopper Bob, you know, he's super into the iron heads. 69. Right. Oh, yeah. Get something super cool like that. But all the other ones, I I agree. Either go big twin or or if you're going to go sporty, at least go Evo. Oh, yeah, man. That's, yeah, for sure. I mean, there's definitely a, uh, once you do get the knack of your motor, you know, like that 85, dude, I, shit, I must have put at least like 10,000 miles on it. And 3,000 of that was in one trip alone uh, on a big, like, California loop. And, uh, I mean, you, you do get a sense of pride being like, oh, yeah, man. Like, I'm like guy on the shitbox over there. You know, like, I know how to take care of it. But uh, at the end of the day, I'm definitely glad to have a big twin now. <laughs> yeah. And, and you're normal size guy, right? You're not, like, super tall or super big or anything like that? Oh, no, dude. Very average. All around. <laughs> Even in places <laughs> I wish I wasn't. But. Yeah, I'm 5'8 and 180 pounds. So Yeah. So we're not that uh not that far apart there. I'm I think I'm 5'10, about the same weight. And it's like even for me as a normal size person, the big twin is definitely necessary. Yeah. I get on the, sure, get on the sporties and I feel like feel like my legs are cramped up. Yeah, <laughs> for sure. But then you see those huge dudes that ride sporties and you're like, Damn, how do they make it work? I, I see people with they make the forwards look like mids, and you're like, Oh, yeah, no kidding. <laughs> but yeah, look at Astroman's the perfect example. That dude's like fucking six four, and he, he looks like a normal person, but his force also has like a aftermarket frame, and I'm pretty sure it's raked. He's got like a 10 over, so mm. it looks like a big ass bike. <laughs> I actually forgot oh, yeah. that his bike was a sporty. That's a good point. <laughs> that yeah that one doesn't count because it looks so huge coming down the road you're like that fits him and then you're like oh yeah that is a sporty motor in there yeah. but yeah so you had the iron head moved over to the shovel head right yes yeah currently building the shovel right now got it so give us the story how that one end up uh in the stable uh so the shovel man um let's see here started so that iron head, I mean, just to back it up, I was going to have that the rest of my life, man. That was like my bike, you know, I built it, eventually knew what it was and what else I wanted and, uh, built it to a spot. I just couldn't touch it anymore. It was what it was. And, uh, this bike came up the shovel head in town. So it was a two owner bike last registered in uh, 92. 
and it was a California model shovel. So everything on it was uh, the original. I mean, from the tins to the ratchet top and the motor, like everything was together. And Boise, man, is so landlocked um, as far as like motorcycle parts coming in here. Like we just have plains and fields around us, you know, like Boise is just in the middle of nowhere. So knowing that the bike was here, it came through the, like the local Harley David dealership. And uh, yeah, I just, I knew I had to have it, man. So the only way I was going to get that money is if I sold my iron head to grab it at that point. Cause they wanted five uh, straight for it. And uh, it was running too. I could get it to run if you just, you know, put some ether down the, the throat. So yeah, man, I had to, had to do it unfortunately, but that there seems pretty fair. I don't know what prices are, are usually like in your area, but five for a running shovel seems very fair. Yeah, dude, it was, that was honestly a killer deal. And that was through a buddy. Um, that's kind of how it is in Boise, man. It's not like there's not a huge market that's public, so to say. Um, there's, like I said, there's about 30 of us, you know, maybe even being gracious, 40 of us. And when somebody knows that you're looking for something, it's super community oriented of like, oh, you know, like that Kunk guy, man, he was looking for a shovel. This should probably go to him since I already have one. So people are really cool like that here. That's rad. I'm actually trying to find a uh, a picture of this bike on your page. Is there one? Um, shit, there might be one. Um, There's one of you on on what I believe is the frame. It's like a baby blue or maybe it's gray. I can't tell. But so, yeah, that's the frame. That's what it is now. Um, if you are able to access the Instagram, it's on uh, like one of the story highlights. It's called Shovel Build. And I think one of the first pictures is me standing next to it. Uh, a buddy of mine took that picture. I'm like flexing, but that was my first shovel. Um, it's got like this dark blue. It's a stock uh, FXEF, like the highway tour glide model, a yep. fat bob. So that might be the only picture publicly there. Got it. Yeah, I'm taking a look through there right now. Oh, yeah, the pistons are feeling some kind of way, huh? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Those things are looking tough. You got the Chop Source frame jig going on, looks like. Yep, yep. Yeah, huge shout out to Chop Source, man. That frame jig, we hardtailed our bikes. Uh, Nick, like, rebuilt his whole frame, man. He, like, had to take out all of his castings and stuff. So the jigs work. They're good. <laughs> Yeah, I got one of those jigs too. I love that thing. Yeah, I'm so it looks like you're cutting out the what is that a brake tab that he cut out of that axle plate, that cast axle plate? Yeah, so the uh the hardtail end of it is from V-Twin. And uh I don't know if you guys ever worked on V-Twin hardtails, but you basically have to redo everything. I was just going <laughs> to ask you. <laughs> yeah. So I got my hardtail, dude, and it was, I mean, every which way bent and out of shape, it was just bad. And my buddies was the same way. So whatever jig they've been using since, you know, like 1985, it's pretty much the same jig, man, all fucked up. But At least uh, they were very expensive though, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. It makes you feel like you bought something worth your money. <laughs> but uh, yeah, that part I was pulling out. So I'm going to run a juice drum on this the hardtail but the hardtail is a you know the panhead year so you have to take that mechanical brake stop that fits inside of the uh the v of the hardtail yep. and i chopped it in half and i took out a quarter inch um in that gap and i welded it down below so now it's like a juice juice drum stop that looks like it was a forged piece so i see what you're saying okay 
Got it. Yeah. So the V twin one, that's like, we get all kinds of questions from people about what hardtail should I buy? And this <laughs> kind of goes along with what we were saying a couple of weeks back where I was just like, I don't know. I don't know what to recommend to people anymore. It seems like, uh, everybody, I, I don't know. I've heard, I've definitely heard this about V twin and, but they do have that cool cast axle plate look that not a lot of people have. So it's a, I guess it's a matter of how bad do you want the cast plates and how much time do you have to get it to work right? Yeah, absolutely, man. If you, uh, you know, if you're good enough with a welder that you can hardtail a bike, um, you know, but also not of that level of like twisting, heating up, bending, you know, like it's almost worth just buying the parts. So you buy your seat posts and uh, your axle plates and just see if you can find a shop, man, that can, that can build it. You know, honestly, I, I haven't really shopped the market too much just because I knew like I was going to go that V-twin route uh, beforehand. It just has that old look, you know, it just it has all the dimensions right. It, uh, they're just not built that that great, to be honest. Yeah, it just needs a they got to replace the jig over there. Yeah, exactly. Dude, straighten stuff up. I mean, uh, I don't know if you follow guys, Sam Ramps at all. I don't. Sam Ramps, you said? Yeah. So I don't know if he works with a company or anything, but he uh, he's always well-known frames. And he has like one of those, uh, it's like a version, I guess, like C.T. Newman's like uh, frame jig. Super engineered. And uh, he posted a video of V-Twin hardtail and like did a walkthrough of all the welds and how bad the axle plates didn't line up and stuff. And when you see it, in an engineered jig that's like perfect it's it's pretty bad man <laughs> real bad boy that makes me not sweat so much about the things i put into my chop source jig and like you'll see a 16th somewhere and you're like fuck dude i'm gonna die yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly man that's uh you know talking to some of the old timers i won't say the shop name here but they were uh they were like dude go find me a perfect frame anywhere you know go find a, a perfect frame and, you know, Pago comes pretty damn close, man. But at the end of the day, like, there's still some dude that was working. You know, maybe it was his Wednesday. He's tired, you know, didn't put the part in the jig just perfect. And, you know, the point being, like, nothing's going to be absolutely perfect. But no. if you take that time, you know, and even the 16th, you know, like, of course, as a fabricator, you get it being like, damn, it's 16th, <laughs> you know. But shit, dude, you're already closer than, you know, 90% of what's out there. Yeah, this is true. But I, I'll be honest, when I started doing hardtails, nobody tells you that how how fucked up shit is other places. So <laughs> you just think like you're the only one with a hardtail of 16th out. And you're like, fuck, dude, this thing's never going to track right. I'm going to run <laughs> off the road. Dude, I rode that thing all summer and I completely forgot that I even stressed out about it. I looked at it yeah. when I tore the tins off. I was like, oh, yeah, I thought this thing was never going to ride for a minute there. <laughs> that's funny man yeah perspective right oh it absolutely and uh i was fortunate enough that like buddy builder of mine like my buddy nick dude he's he's held my hand through a lot of stuff that i just was like man i don't know what's going on you know overthinking it he was a uh, bicycle mechanic for years as a foreman at a bike bicycle shop and uh dude apparently bicycles man like there's like no tolerance like that shit's got to be perfectly straight you know wheels got to be trued it's like, it's funny with the motorcycles, your tolerances are much more wider because you got a motor behind it. And 
it's a lot less centrifugal force, man. Like you, you turn that motor on and it's going to go straight. It doesn't matter if one of your wheels is off. Like it's going to yeah, just power power through the untrueness. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Story of my life, man. Shit. <laughs> power through the untrueness. I love it. <laughs> Dude, I don't, I don't understand that though. Why the bike guys are such, uh, such sticklers for it. You're going like 20 miles an hour, dude. Relax. That shit could be way out. <laughs> uh, Just going to skin your fucking knee. Worst case. <laughs> I don't know, man. Yeah, we're, I've seen we're some the pretty fucked up videos. <laughs> yeah, that's true, dude. Some bicycles go down hard, dude. I mean, dude, it's... hard as fuck. <laughs> and you got like 30 dudes behind you to just run your ass over and then also die. <laughs> it's like prison all over again man Shit. seriously <laughs> actually you know what though you're right because your feet are clipped in on the on those bicycles and you, yeah, you, you get just, fucked up dude. you just can't put your feet down you just go, uh, it's like yeah it's like tripping and just having your hands tied behind your back <laughs> fuck <laughs> that's rugged i do remember hearing that uh hearing some guy that was he was big on titanium welding because he was on the welding tips and tricks podcast because he did bicycle frames and he was <laughs> like, I get more for a bicycle frame than I, than I would for a motorcycle frame because we do these things out of titanium. They're super high end. People pay top dollar for it. But this goes back to what we said before about the chopper guys, dude. They're like, I'll just buy a shitty one and I'll just like kind of modify it a little bit. But yeah. the bicycle guys are like, it has to be perfect. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Oh, good business to fabricate in. So once you got the bike, was it was like, was it a complete bike? Like you running, going down the road or you had to uh, do a whole bunch of shit to it as far as like the motor. It looked like you tore it all apart, right? Yeah, man. Um, so, you know, I just, I had a lot of buddies, uh, a lot more or I just, I should say they're better off, you know, financially with stuff. And of course they're not musicians, which is a huge part of it, but, um, <laughs> they'd buy bikes, man. And they'd just be like, Oh, I've just picked up this knucklehead, you know, like throw it in the frame. And then we'd ride to Idaho city, which is, you know, I guess that's probably 50 miles from here, you know, not a huge ride, but we'd take a ride like that. And dude, they'd ride these things like with no care in the world, if it blew up or not, you know, like they had money, it's fun. It's a survivor, you know, it's got character. And, uh, I thought like, man, I spent so much fucking time on that iron head. Like when I get my shovel, I'm just going to ride it until it's not good and then I'll fix it, you know? And when I got that shovel, uh, the rear brakes didn't work at all. There's something clogging up the line. Uh, the rear tire was bad and I was able to kick the bike over, you know, like I said, if I poured gas down the throat and, uh, so I was like, well, dude, do I pay the money to put fresh tire on here, which won't even be the tire size I want to run run when it's you know when i build it and fix the brake so do i put time into it and then try to ride it as is you know or i know i'm gonna chop it so That's there's like point. this weird in between of like i got you know these three months of summer left that i could you know try to ride it if i dump this money into it or i could just start on my chopper build now so i ended up just pulling the trigger and was like pulled the motor out all right let's cut this frame in half you know so i started selling some of the stock parts and shit and uh yeah, I had that motor, dude. It was just staring at me every day on the bench. I was like, you know what, dude? I'd be an idiot to just throw this like motor that's potentially clapped out, 
you know, into a brand new bike that I'm going to try to ride for the summer. So let's just go through it, man. So I, I went through it, dude. I did the end play in the cam. Um, I even did the counter bore on your rocker washers up top so that they don't clink at different frequencies. They're oh, all wow, like the dude. same gap apart. Well, it's, you know, there's that classic like shovel, like uh shuffle, like that. And it's like different frequencies of those rockers tapping. So if you actually counterbore them to the same depth of rocker play, it eliminates that weird chatter. Only a musician would hear the frequencies <laughs> and be bothered. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> this is a deep level of care. And this bike is living its best life for sure. Oh, well, thanks, man. <laughs> That's awesome though. So any experience with motor work or were you feeling your way through it for the first time? Uh, so actually, man, that iron head, um, I rebuilt it twice going through it. And I mean, swap cam gears, like, you know, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and, uh, dude, that gave me a huge like mechanical advantage, no pun intended with, uh, how to work on, you know, Harley at least. And, uh, dude, I'm, you know, I, partly educated and you know, I went to college so I can read a manual like pretty decent about what I got to do look up tolerances and uh did at any point I was ever like lost in motor work I would just call up someone that had you know a buddy or even the shops locally and just give them that plea of like look dude you know I'm the young guy still I'm trying to figure this out any tips or pro tips you can give me a hand you know would be sweet and uh, more times than not man a lot of this mechanical stuff like it's daunting in the book when you're reading it but having somebody just show up and be like, oh, well, this is what they mean by this phrase, you know, and they give you like some kind of vernacular language of like, you just run a drill through it, man. And you go, oh, okay, I get it. Right, you know, so right. You just, you learn, man. You just, you just pick it up over the time and you buy that tool, you know, and before you know it, you got, you know, three tool chests and you know how to do most of the work on any, you know, Harley V-Twin. Yeah. Picking up those, those, like, there's just like a couple tools that if you have, I feel like makes a, a tremendous difference. Like the clutch hub puller tool, something to compress the valve springs. If it's a shovel, you need those, those dog bone wrenches to get the cylinder oh, base yes. nuts off yeah. something to pull the alternator, like all the, all those like, it's, I don't think it's that many tools and all in it's probably like two or 300 bucks worth of specific tooling that can just change what you're able to do at the house. Oh yeah, dude, absolutely, man. And if you have any listeners that, you know, are getting into choppers, maybe not doing it yet, I would just highly suggest to anybody like buy the specialty tool, man. Cause the time you're going to spend trying to like jerry rig something to get something on or off and then end up stripping it or fucking it up. It's just worth buying this tool, man. <laughs> yeah, I had to learn that lesson with the valve spring compressor. I was like, oh, okay. There's no, I didn't fuck it up, but I came real close. And then I was like, all right. <laughs> what did you use, man? Like a big C clamp or something or what? It was basically like a big C clamp. And I just kind of, it wasn't the wrong tool. It was just misusing the tool. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah. So basically, like you could put it on there so it would compress, but it was compressing so far that it was actually like the C clamp itself was hitting the edge of the cylinder and like marring the gasket or about to mar the gasket surface. Thank God it, it ended up hitting a different part. So it didn't mar the finished part, but it was so fucking close to doing that. And then I was like, 
all right, I'm going to use the tool properly because you know how you kind of like put a bunch of force in it to clamp it down. I was just tightening the C-clamp instead of like using the lever action part of it. I was just like ignoring that and just like spinning the C-clamp till it was tight and (laughs) calling it a day. And you're not supposed to do that. (laughs) Cause I fought with that fucking thing, dude. I, the first time I tried to put that on, I couldn't get the tension right. It was either too loose or it was so tight. I couldn't flip the fucking lever over. And then by the end I was like, I have an idea. And then after that, I was like, I shouldn't have any, any more ideas. (laughs) <laughs> just do it how you're supposed to do it by the right tools. Yes. <laughs> Thinking is bad. Exactly. <laughs> that and valve lapping too. I lapped the valves on the Evo motor and getting that little suction cup thing to do that properly was also key. Thank- thankfully, that wasn't a very expensive tool. That and the clutch hub puller, you're like, okay, low cost, high reward. Yeah, you know, I actually haven't done much head work. We have a uh, local company here, Boise Cylinder Head. So, yeah, I mean, I've read through, you know, lapping your valves and stuff. And that's just one thing I haven't done. And uh, I don't know, you probably saved you a bunch of money, dude, because I end up throwing like almost 1200 bucks to a head shop whenever I get my heads done. So if you're saving money that way. They probably do more than just the the lapping because like I couldn't do the honing oh, yeah. any of that shit. But um No, they'll check your guides and you know, put fresh guides in there if you have to have them and you know, they make sure that all your stuff's good. So for me it's like worth peace of mind to have like a professional head shop, you know, go through it at least. Some stuff I'm willing to gamble with, man, but sometimes the mechanic stuff, that's where I'm like, Well shit, dude, I, I don't know anything about these heads. So, you know, I can take it apart, disassemble it, but that doesn't mean I know exactly how to spec it out, you know. Yeah. And once you get into that stuff too, that's some deep machining work. And that always makes me feel like once you're going to get a machinist involved, you're going to get a very critical set of eyes on whatever you tried to do. And that's like the last person that I want to put any of my work in front of is a machinist because they're very particular people. (laughs) And I'm not trying to fuck with that. Like if I, once I lap these valves, I don't want a machinist to even be in the same room as the valves because they're not (laughs) going to be happy with it. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and be like, you have to put that in the lathe. I'm like, I don't have a lathe and I want to ride later this week. So we're going to just use the <laughs> suction cup and fucking slap this thing back together. <laughs> but as far as head work, like fancy head work, like you're talking about, I would do the same thing. I would drop that off, let a machinist take care of that. Yeah. <laughs> so what about the transmission? How, what kind of shape was that thing in? So the transmission, man, I, you know, it goes through the gears, goes through the gears fine. Obviously your starter, it's a ratchet top. So it's one of the last years of the ratchet top, which uh, makes me feel pretty good about it. Um, You know, I mean, ratchet tops, they seem to last forever in any condition, but I figured, you know, the later the year, you know, the more thought has been put into it, albeit still AMF. um, but I hadn't undone it. I was thinking about taking the ratchet top cover off. And uh, the guy, Nick, I was working with, he was like, well, did you want through your motor? Uh, you could go through your ratchet top. But a lot of dudes say, don't open them up unless there's an issue. So if yes. it ain't broke, don't fix it kind of a thing. Yeah. Is Loctite the dude you're talking about? <laughs> <laughs> Funny. Is that your approach to it, Loctite? Yeah. It's like, I'm just, because I've been wrenching for a very long time. On like uh, with cars and into motorcycles and like I've always 
learned like if you fuck with it when it's not broken, chances are you're gonna fucking break it. Something <laughs> stupid is gonna happen. You know what I mean? Pull <laughs> now just looking inside turn into a four hour job. If yep, yep. fuck, leave it alone. <laughs> <laughs> That's the general feel, dude. I got on the the transmissions. You know, like the motor. You know, there's a lot of shit you can't replace, dude. Like your cases and that kind of stuff. But these fucking transmissions, man, you can. They can blow up, you know, you can go through yeah. them, you can change out your gears, but dude, if it works, <laughs> make sure it's got fluid and yep. just run it, you know? That's it. So, Yeah, I almost broke that rule this past season, but uh, thankfully we just said no. We just leave it alone, fucking we'll unwrap that thing whenever it breaks. Yeah. <laughs> well, dude, part of that comes from the, the Ironhead history, because... I don't care, dude. Unless that iron head came off a showroom floor like the week prior, there's something wrong with it. Like fucking iron head transmissions, man. There's just like they burn up thrust washers, gears get chipped. Like, I don't know what it is, dude. The brass shift forks, you know, and then putting it in a hardtail or what. But when people brought in iron heads, it's just that thing is like, well, also, can you check out the transmission? They go, well, look, dude, I'll, I can ride it around. Or I can pull a transmission, but it's going to add a bunch of time. You know, there's like lock washers you got to fold over, you know, every the, one of those. It's designed to not come out. But unfortunately, there's always something wrong with them. So this is kind of one of those, uh, you know, ignorance is bliss deals of, hey, dude, it goes through the gears and uh, it hasn't been opened up. So I'm going to run it until something's not right. Because I'm afraid yeah. something could be wrong, you know, like, like I said, the iron head stuff. Yep, Exactly. And like you said, you get into those, like those bend tab, the, the washers, all that shit. And then it's like, okay, so you're going to shove that, shove that right back in there. Or are you going to replace that? Like you're probably supposed to every time you take it apart. Oh and yeah, absolutely. Man. Yeah. Better off, better off just leaving it be and revisit that later. Yep, Exactly. So what did you end up running for the wheels? Because I know you said it wasn't the tires. It didn't come with the tire sizes. Were you trying to change it to an 18 in the back? Yep. Yeah, exactly. So uh, a buddy of mine or at Chop Lock when we had the shop, uh, we got our V-twin account. So we were able to get, you know, wholesale parts, which is, you know, one thing that definitely helped make the, the bike affordable. But uh, so I got a 21 up front, uh, three inch rim. I'm sorry, two and a half inch rim. And in the rear, uh, 18. So we built our wheels completely. I got uh, Buchanan spokes, the stainless steel spokes, and uh, just built yeah the star hubs in the center because I wanted star hubs to go around. Yep, for sure. So twenty one eighteen is the setup I got right now. That's awesome. So what was the uh, for the eighteen in the back? What was the reason you wanted to switch from the sixteen? Um, you know, just I guess having a lot of other bikes coming through your shop, man, like running the 18 was pretty cool, you know, on the pan heads and stuff. And it just lifts that ass end up a little bit more. It so looks my so bike, good too. Oh dude. Yeah. Well, cause the 18 with like a four inch tire almost looks identical to the 21. Like the circumference is almost there. It's just a little bit smaller. So yeah. it's a little bit smaller, but it doesn't sit down like that. Uh, like a 16 inch with a, a five inch tire does. Right. Um, you know, I did that on the long chop. And that made sense to me is because you got this like almost a car tire in the back and you got this tiny wheel up front, you know, it's like a pizza cutter just like just cuts through the the wind as it's riding. But that whole like 18 in the back and the uh, the 21 up front, man, it, it almost looks at like, I guess, more bicycle-esque 
you know, like it's a little bit taller off the ground. Your wheels are spacier. You can see more air between them. I don't know. It just gives this illusion that it's just like aggressive as hell, you know? It does have a good look. Now, is that an 18 and a 21 on that, that picture you've got of you sitting on the frame? Yeah. Yeah. That's just mocked up roller. Those are the wheel set I built. So that is wild, dude. They look the same size. Yeah. It's, it's pretty damn close, man. Yeah. It's got a great stance. I absolutely love that look. Yeah. Thanks, man. I appreciate that. That's, it's, I don't know. It's just a classic. And the more big twins I was looking at too, is just like, you don't see too many of the 16 five, you know, unless there's like a bobber style or that looks really good on a knuckle, like both 16 and front and back, which I think was what the stock was. Um, but you know, there's that whole history with the, uh, the guys starting to run, you know, British motorcycle parts on their bikes because it was skinnier or smaller. It made them go faster, you know, on their drag racing and tracks and stuff. And that 18 inch rear is a, uh, that's a British thing, you know, just running a skinny 18 inch rear in the back made your bike skinnier and uh, supposedly a little bit faster, you know? Yeah. I like the, uh, looks like it's got a high shoulder rim on it too. Or is that just a normal 18? Um, it does kind of have, I mean, it's normal 18, but the shoulder is like that aftermarket shoulder where it just kind of crump comes up and rolls over. Uh, there's a lot of dudes that purposely look for the old, uh, rim itself that doesn't have that. That was like an aftermarket type look. Some people hate it. I don't really give a shit, but I actually like the high shoulder. I had an XS650 with an 18 rear from the factory and it was a high shoulder 18 that was like actually super sought after people were always people were paying top dollar for those things for the high shoulder oh cool shit yeah that is rad though dude and you were able were you able to keep the stock axle with that v-twin hardtail or do you have to get an aftermarket axle for it uh so i had to get aftermarket and it's actually a hodgepodge of uh aftermarket stuff to get it to work with the juice drum because the hardtail is uh, it's the panhead hardtail, so you buy a panhead swing arm axle though, and the panhead swing arm axle goes through the axle plates, and it has the spacer for the juice drum. Because there's a particular spacer that like is a little shoulder to it that holds off the juice plate itself, the backing plate to the drum. So it's a mix of like the panhead axle uh, and then the panhead axle swing arm like kit. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah, because yeah, the late a... years of Pan had the swing arm with the uh, the juice drum, so that's that's kind of why you're mixing the two years. I see what you're saying. And that's a stock oil tank that came with it, or that's an aftermarket. Uh, so that's a that's an OEM um, from a buddy of mine, Weston Kiesel. Actually, he's a one of the builders for Born Free this year. And uh, dude, huge shout out to him, man. He's he's just had all kinds of parts laying around that like whenever we hit him up, it's like going to the grocery store, just being like, Hey dude, do you have this or this? And you know, he's usually got one of those things laying around. So he, he hooked me up with that oil tank, man. That's rad. Yeah. They're a little bit taller than the, the ones that they started doing on the Evos. And I do like that, that taller tank look. Oh yeah. Yeah. Thanks man. Yeah. That thing's, pretty sweet i mean it's it's close to the transmission man it's like right there that uh the long shift arm uh shift lever it's like it, i mean it barely clears i mean putting my head under here right now it's about three quarter of an inch you know below the battery tray itself so yeah, i was it's just gonna ask you. 
fills that space for sure. So are you running a foot clutch on this or just the, the stock clutch arm? Uh, yes. Foot clutch this time around. Fuck. Yeah. So, so you've already got that long arm on it and it does clear the tank. Yeah. I got a long arm and, uh, this is actually one I picked up again from Weston. Um, there was like a chain wear on like the belly of the, uh, the arm, right where it bends up, um, to clear the oil tank. And, uh, I just welded it back up. I welded it with stainless filler rod so I could actually polish it out. So Mm -hmm. I know stainless can be a little bit more brittle, you know, than mild steel, but as far as what the functionality is of that arm shift arm, I'm not too worried about it, but, uh, yeah, yeah, welded it up. Oh yeah. Yeah. That's rad, dude. So was it already a long arm that you just had to repair or did you, are you saying you welded a longer arm to that stock one? Oh no, this was a, it's a long arm already. I just had to repair it to run it. Gotcha. So foot clutch, jockey shift setup. Any idea what you're going to run for the jockey shifter? Um, so actually I got the, uh, so as a fabricator, man, there's just some things, some parts that I'm like, you know what, dude, this just saves me a bunch of time. You know, if somebody else made it, but, uh, Marion metalworks makes those uh, little coins for you to weld whatever you want to it on it. So it's out of stainless and I polished it up to like a mirror finish. Um, he's got like the little stop holes for it and countersunk hardware. So just, it bolts on perfect, man. But I'm going to run a nine sixteenths stainless rod. I'm this whole bike's dude, the whole bunch of stainless just cause Chrome is so expensive these days. But uh, it, yeah, nine sixteenths round rod. And then I don't know if I'm going to thread the top of it or not, but still keeping my eye out for a cool little ornament or something that's, and that's unique, you know? For sure. Yep. That's a bit, it's always a big decision. Yeah. <laughs> Trying to find just the right thing. So front brake on this or no front brake? Uh, no front brake. There you go. Whole bike set up like God intended. <laughs> what are you thinking for the primary? Uh, so right now, man, I got um, the actual, the stock, the belt drive, or I'm sorry, not belt, but chain. Yep. Like the uh, the double chain. Sure. And right now, man, I'm like looking at it. Like it looks cool, but I have to maintain that chain. So honestly, I'm thinking about doing a uh, inch and a half to maybe a two inch belt drive. And then that way it's just way less maintenance. You know, something easy can pop off if you have to. Right. It definitely does but, make it easier. Yeah. I mean, the chain looks sick, but uh, yeah, I don't know, man. I, the whole goal for this thing or, you know, chopper in general for me is like, it's got to be easy to work on. That's like the whole point of stripping this anyways, you know? So the belt drives are here. You can just pull right off. You can just kind of leverage them off. So it's kind of yeah, where I'm at easy. with it. Very easy to get the belts off. Were you saying you were considering running the chain open? Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's not a good idea. <laughs> yeah, man. I mean, that's partly inspired by, uh, there's actually, I mean, it's one uh, David Mann picture in particular, man, but they're driving like through the high Sierras. And he's got his open chain on his shovel. And uh, I mean, you know, guys do run them. It's dangerous as hell because it's ran way it. less, less forgiving, you know, than running <laughs> the belt. But, and you fling oil everywhere, dude. Apparently that B-side is just covered in it when you're all said and done. But, uh, oh man, there's just that, you know, it's like not running a front brake. It's not practical by any means, but it's just got this little edge of like hard style to it. It's just like, dude, you're, you're a fucking nut. You know, why would you do that? <laughs> Yeah. If you, if you go on my page, there's actually a video. I ran it for last season 
And oh, okay. it, it, it wasn't the, the danger that made me take it off. It was the fact that the chain never stops stretching it. Like oh. every, every week you you have to retighten and then retighten and retighten because it's not in an oil bath anymore. So it just heats up and it expands and it, it's never ending. You're never done okay. tightening it back up. Good to know. Shit. Yeah, that's what nobody talks about. They talk about like, oh, it could, it'll tear your leg off. It sounds gnarly as fuck too when it's running. Sounds crazy. <laughs> yeah, it's fucking wild. And I didn't change it because I was like, I didn't want to buy the primary. I was just being cheap, and I was like, oh, well, I already have this on here, so I'll just run the fucking chain. And it sounds insane. It wiggles a fuck ton, but that's what ended up doing it in. I was like, this thing would loosen up. And you think like, oh, it's a chain, it stretches, and then it stops. I don't know when it stops, but you can't like take never. links out of it. So <laughs> yeah, I never feel stops. like never. <laughs> this yeah. never stops. The I remember only... the old buck that, uh, that Greasy met him, Rudy. Um, yeah. The dude who like top got like really got me like working on choppers. This dude had a saw blade welded onto his clutch basket nuts dude what just i was like are you aggressive yeah i was like are you fucking nuts dude i think it's like three inches behind your fucking quad what are you doing he's like well makes people talk about it and i'm like yeah i guess the fuck's up dude they'll also talk about you when you have one leg dude yeah dude people are fucking crazy (laughs) not a good you gotta love that Oh yeah. <laughs> well, good to know, man. I didn't know about the stretching thing. And uh yeah, that is a wise bit of information, man. I was kind of starting it off as, you know, I want to say it's a cool style thing, but I was definitely being a cheap cheap ass. So uh yeah, dude, just save up that money, I guess. Get a belt. <laughs> I know. It's I wish it could have been sooner because these uh these belts got so expensive lately. Yeah. Oh, Dude, all this stuff, man. And a lot of the V twin stuff you can't even get shipped in right now. It's they're all out of stock, you know. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, the hard hardtails are super hard to get right now. Oil bags, uh, even the China the put the clamp on that steel. Oh, yeah, dude, that too. I mean, shit, metal prices are insane right now. Yep. Yeah, I, I finally saved up the money for my BDL and then bought a GoPro instead, like a fucking retard. <laughs> <laughs> it's gonna pay off in the end don't worry so dumb dude i've been dude i had literally an hour after i purchased this thing buyer's remorse immediately oh man have you even seen like a cool video from it yet to like justify it or not? it hasn't even gotten here yet <laughs> oh shit <man>. <laughs> yeah <laughs> so that like makes it worse it's like the salt in the wound <laughs> It probably explains why people with GoPros are always using them, dude. You're just like trying to justify that purchase all the time, you know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Once the weather gets warm, that's exactly what it is. <laughs> Snowboarding, skateboarding, motorcycles. Well, that's what's that? That's the coolest part is I can't wait to show people how, how much I suck at skateboarding. <laughs> <laughs> Got to get the helmet cam going, dude. I don't wear a helmet, though. Yeah, you're just gonna have to do like a uh, a sweatband. Put it on the sweatband <laughs> yeah. around the forehead. <laughs> yeah. Then I seen there's one fucking attachment right here. You clip the GoPro in it and then you just bite it. 
Oh, I've seen like, this. This is the weirdest fucking attachment. <laughs> yeah, that one's oh, strange yeah. as fuck. Yeah. It doesn't have like a leather collar you have to tie around the back of your head, does it? No, you just like literally just bite on this plastic and it's fucking weird. You gotta the, pay the extra GoPro for that gag. One. Yeah. <laughs> GoPro people are weird. <laughs> it's attached to like a leather mask, you know, that you have to yeah. un- yeah, zip it's over just your a head. gag ball. <laughs> <laughs> All that footage is going straight to GoPro headquarters. They're like, yeah, we'll just hang on to this. <laughs> uh, <laughs> that's funny. Rad. So tell us a little bit. We talked a, a good bit about the bikes here. Tell us about the music stuff, man. Yeah, man. Uh, music stuff. Jeez, man, where to start? Um, I mean, just a quick summary, man. I was always into harmonica. I don't want to explain it. It just came to me, man. It was kind of an easy thing to learn. Uh, I remember hearing When the Levy Breaks by Led Zeppelin and just being like, fuck yeah, man. Like, this is so sick. And, uh, you know, thanks to YouTube and like living in this generation, I was able to look up that song. And this picture of a black guy in a bowler hat showed up. And I was like, wow, that's not Led Zeppelin. You know, what is this? And there's a guy named Sonny Boy Williamson. And uh, he played the original version that Led Zeppelin had actually taken. And it was like cleaned up, you know, it was the original version. And uh, from there, dude, I just had to learn harmonica, man. I just like always thought it'd be a cool party trick, you know, like, man, if I could just learn this one song, you know, like this would be yeah. so sick. And uh, dude, just went down the rabbit hole, man, and was playing harmonica for different bands here and there in California. Uh, just not nothing notable, man, like open mics and shit. And, um, I blew my knee out skateboarding. I was trying to hill flip down a seven stair, and that was like, yep, go to do it. Like, oh, dude, I thought, like, you know, if I could get this consistently, dude, like, I'm definitely going pro, you know, just naive. And, uh, <laughs> Blew my knee out, dude, like a like a fucking bird. It went backwards, man, and uh, oh. tore everything. Oh, it was bad. So full knee like reconstruction, dude, like ACL, meniscus, MCL. And uh, while I was laid up, I was just like, well, dude, I better learn guitar, you know, so I can play to this harmonica. And uh, dude, it just was always blues, man, like Mississippi, Fred McDowell, Robert Johnson, like you know, twenties and thirties stuff. And uh, just went down this weird rabbit hole, man. Like, you know, none of my friends are listening to that stuff. Everyone's into hip hop. And I'm just discovering music of like, you know, rock and roll, blues, the Black Keys, you know, all these blues influenced stuff. And uh, yeah, dude, I just, I never put it down since then. I've like gone to the South multiple times to try and catch some, you know, remaining living old guys and stuff. And, um, you know, blues is a huge influence for me now. But I've tried to do like a little bit more psychedelic, um, just like ambient, you know, guitar slides and things like that. And uh, yeah, dude, came back to Boise, Idaho and brought what I learned in the South to, you know, my own city. And before I knew it, dude, I was like getting paid more to do that than I was welding. And it's just like, holy shit, man, maybe, maybe I actually do pursue music full time, you know? So yeah, just jumped on that bus, man, and just, spent my first year being a uh, a raging alcoholic in the bar rooms fuck yeah <laughs> and uh living it up you know and i just remember at one point uh there's this couple you know good friends of mine now but they came up and i was like hey nice to meet you you know and the dude just looked at me with a straight face and was like dude we've met you like 15 times we've been to all your shows and i just felt like the biggest ass you know in the room like oh my god dude i'm like, i'm out of control I don't remember anybody, you know, these I'm people out of say, control. Oh, dude, this, is, this is bad. The first man. step like, is admitting it. <laughs> oh yeah. 
so from that point, man, I just was like, you know what? Like, I'm going to, you know, limit myself, my drinks during my shows. And it's like, this is a, you know, I consider myself a non-musician at the time. Cause like, dude, I started when I was like 19 and 22, I'm doing it full time. So not even that like many years into learning guitar or music, I was just like, holy shit, this is the life. And so I was, I don't know, I was just being a nut. And, uh, yeah, I just, luckily I had that good you know, bout of sobriety is being like, you know what, dude, this can be a business if I actually pull my head out of my ass and book my shows, you know, book them three months in advance, you know, ask for certain rates and just kind of turn it into this like little local business. And uh, yeah, from there, um, I played a show called The Landlock Show, which was a Rawhide Cycles motorcycle show that they put on. And uh, they put on that show. And from there, I met that guy, Mark Kirkland, who, you know, is pretty big with support good times and dice magazine. And, uh, yeah, since then, dude, I've just been doing music for motorcycles, you know, obviously inspired by riding, you know, it's like thoughts and weird ambient noise I hear in my head. And so it's just, it's really sick, man. Just to say in short that, you know, to have a lifestyle, if I can do music and motorcycles and riding motorcycles, working on motorcycles inspires the music part of it. And then to have the music put on, you know, for motorcycle videos or motorcycle content, it's just this wild, like, loop of, like, holy shit, man, like, this is my life. I'm poor, I work in a garage, and I make music, and I couldn't have it any other way, man. This is it. That's awesome, dude. It does seem like it's one of those things where you get you get back from it what you put in, and if you take it seriously, you can make a serious living with it. Yeah, no, I appreciate that, man, and... I mean, there's a lot of things, man. I didn't realize until music, you know, trying to make it a business like that. But like, if you really love something, dude, there's, there's like little bites you can take every day to like try and make something workable, you know, manageable. And, uh, I mean, a lot of that too, man, I've just been really fortunate with people that want to support me and stuff. You know, I, you guys too, man, thank you for having me on your podcast and, uh, being able to help promote me this way, you know? So thank you for that. Oh, of course, dude. No, it was, it's great to have you on. And actually, speaking of that, I saw you had a picture way back in your feed. What was it like seeing Rough Start, your album, in an actual record store for the first time? Oh, that was, it's unreal, man. Like, you know, just the music in general to this day, dude. Like, when people ask me to do weddings for them and stuff, I'm like, just forever grateful, man. I mean, it's just, it blows my mind because... I mean, I don't really know how to word it still, you know, like music to me wasn't like a dream. It was just like something that was fun for me. And so to see it turn into what it is, like anything that happens with it now is just like this gift, you know, like nothing is ever fully deserved. I feel like in this world, man, like it's all just kind of a gift. And so to see where it goes into like the record stores or used on Dice Magazine or it's just like this coolest feeling ever of like, wow, dude, like. I appreciate it. You know, like I don't want to take any of this stuff for granted. So it's always this cool, sobering moment of like, wow, here it is, dude. <laughs> it could be gone tomorrow, but it's here now. So I should appreciate that. That's it, man. Those, those moments that we get, you keep them with you forever. Yeah, absolutely. Super cool, dude. Well, Hey, we appreciate you coming on, sharing all this stuff with us, taking us through the builds really fucking great to chat with you. And I'm thinking once you get this bike buttoned up, it'd be great to have you back on to talk about how the rest of the build went. Oh, absolutely, man. Um, actually, I thought this was going to be like a FaceTime deal. I could send you some pictures here too. It's uh, a lot further along now than that last picture. If you 
want any more information on it, man. Yeah. What would be great is if, uh, send us the pictures through and we'll do a post when this episode goes live so that we can get them all in one place. But also if they end up on your page too, we're going to have your page linked in the actual episode. So people are definitely going to be coming to your page when they, when the show goes out. So if you want to throw them up there too, it'd be handy to give people something to follow along with. Oh, absolutely, man. I definitely want to give you guys a shout out too, man. I'm super honored to be part of your podcast. So thank you very much, man. Both of you guys. Yeah. Where can people find your music and shit? Uh, it's on like the usual streaming platforms. I got like iTunes music, Spotify, um, YouTube has our latest album up, but the music name is Johnny boy Kunk and, uh, or John Kunk, J O H N K U N K. And, uh, yeah, man, that's just, they're here and there. And, you know, most of the dice magazine stuff, it's pretty exclusive to just those videos. So you'd have to watch yeah. dice, you know, that kind of stuff. But yeah, it's, it's out there, man. That's somehow floating around in the, the interwebs. Thick, dude. That's awesome. And what's the best way for people to support what you're doing with the music? Is it buying an album from a particular place? Is it coming to a show? How can people help make the music work for you as a full-time thing? I appreciate you asking that, man. Um, we used to sell CDs and we're going to try to be making a vinyl here soon, but dude, I'm like super non-corporate, man. I don't have a real label. Like I just kind of do this on my own. And, uh, the number one way you can support me or any musician really is like, talk about a man, like, like their posts, share their posts, you know, like play them to your buddies when you're working in your garage. Um, just yeah. Getting like active participation in what you do. You know, other than that, dude, like, you know, money's whatever, you know, with music, you're never going to get rich doing it. So it's like just having people knowing about you helps your opportunity, you know, for other future gigs and stuff like that. So just listen to it, man. That's that's my only advice. <laughs> we can definitely make people do that, man. That's awesome. If you want to send us a uh, a track too, we can we can play it as the outro for the uh, for the uh, podcast. Oh, sweet, man. That'd be really cool. Good deal. Well. Brother, we appreciate the time, man. Thanks again for coming on. I appreciate you guys, man. Thank you very much.